0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Real Science Exchange. The podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal nutrition. Hi, I'm Scott Sorrell, one of your hosts here tonight at the Real Science Exchange. Tonight, we'll be focusing on poultry diseases, the costs, and implications. We'll also look at new ways to manage disease as the industry moves toward reducing antibiotic use. We have two special guests joining us at the table tonight. First, Dr. T.J. Gatos. Welcome, uh, T.J., to the Real Science Exchange. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Gatos joined us for the Real Science Lecture Series back in February to talk more specifically about coccidiosis and the implications of that disease. Tonight, we'll uh, continue our discussions on coccidiosis, but we'll also venture a little further to include other diseases such as HPAI, as well as how the industry is evolving to address consumer preferences and production challenges. Before we dive in, uh, TJ, what's in your glass tonight? And uh, is there any stories behind how you chose that?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm drinking Woodford Reserve uh, tonight, and it's an extra, extra mini that I got on an airplane yesterday.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they served that good stuff in the airplanes. That's not what they give me. I, I need to fly another airline, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Great. Um, I see you brought a guest with you tonight. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about him and and how you guys met?
1: Yeah. uh, Guest tonight is Andy and he is the uh, broiler manager at Miller Poultry. Uh, Miller Poultry is one of the accounts that I work uh, for as a poultry veterinarian. Uh, We've worked together for a little over a year now.
0: Oh, very well. So welcome, Andy, to the Real Science Exchange. Uh, also, I understand that uh, you're still, you're you're working late tonight, so <laughs> you're, you're not drinking. So what what will you be having after work tonight?
2: Sure, yeah, not yet, but after work, uh, I'm simple. A cold beer is always good.
0: Yeah, excellent, always a good choice. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then what can you tell us about uh, Miller Poultry?
2: Sure, um, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me with you, and Dr. Gatos, we- like you said, we worked together the last year or so. Um, personally, my background—I don't have a poultry background. Um, I went to school for business. However, I—I um, I grew up around agriculture, not specifically poultry, but um, my parents and grandparents raised crops. Always grew up in a, a rural area, and you know, after college, after a few different stops, I—I I kind of fell into this role um, at Miller Poultry as a service technician and enjoyed it. Um, really enjoyed working with um, our contracted growers, working, you know, with chickens and learning about them since I didn't have a background with it. And that was just about six years ago. And about three years ago, I was promoted to the broiler manager. And um, it's been good ever since. Um, A little bit about Miller Poultry, I guess we are, we're not a big company, but we're not a small company by any means. Um, We process under a million birds a week. Um, I think if you look in the United States listings. We're like the 24th, 25th largest company, uh, for poultry. Um, we are kind of a niche market. We, we cater to, to antibiotic free and organic chicken. So all of our chicken is antibiotic free with about 25% of our production being organically raised. Um, so that's another layer into raising birds that we've all learned. Um, we are a vertically integrated company, which means we have our own hatchery, our own feed mills, processing plant, um, even grain facilities that we we get our, our ingredients from for our feed. So, um, yeah, that's just a, a brief kind of outline about Miller Poultry.
0: And I understand you're in Indiana. What part of Indiana is that in? Is that in the, the, the eastern side, northeast? Um,
2: we're in the north central. So we're actually right under the Michigan line. We're that far north. Um, We have production facilities in Michigan as well. Um, Both broiler and um, broiler breeder farms are in Michigan. Um, Almost 50% of our production does come from Michigan on the broiler side. Um, So um, that's kind of uh, a unique thing for us crossing state lines. However, our headquarters processing facility is in Orland, Indiana, which is towards Ohio a little bit. Um, That would be kind of the northeast part of the state.
0: Okay. And did you go to school? You said you got a business degree. Where, where's? What's your pedigree there?
2: Sure. Um, well, I bounced around a little bit. I started school in, in Indiana. Um, I went to the University of Southern Indiana for a couple of years, transferred to uh, the University of Southern Mississippi, where I, I got my bachelor's degree in business administration. Um, my emphasis was small business entrepreneurship. So I always wanted to kind of work for myself or on a small business level. And this has really kind of fit because just the one of the the first entrepreneurship jobs was farming, right? So uh, that kind of fit into my background, and um, we kind of have a small business feel here here at Miller Poultry, especially on the the live side.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, it's a pleasure meeting you, Andy, and look forward to our conversation tonight. Uh, we also have Dr. Zach Lohman back with us tonight once again. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking tonight? What's in your glass? I
3: am drinking Diet Coke at the moment.
0: Diet Coke, I see. Yep, yeah. been busy. All right. <laughs> Very well. Well, I... Uh, I went with something a little different. I usually have a bourbon. I went with a Jemison's. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but we've got a bourbon shortage here in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. I go to the the state store and there's nothing on the shelf. So I've I, they've been advertising Jemison's on the TV, and I saw that. I guess I I'm slave to, to to marketing and advertising, so I picked it up. It's pretty good actually. I would recommend it.
4: Tonight's podcast stories are brought to you by the Keisher line of chelated minerals. Keysure and Keysure Plus deliver proven and consistent bioavailability to maximize performance and a no-frills pricing approach for greater profitability. Visit balchem.com to learn more.
0: TJ, um, we got to know you a little bit on, on the webinar um, back in February. Give us a little bit of background about yourself and a little bit about your practice.
1: Yeah, so originally I'm from Ohio. I uh, currently live in Dallas, Texas i'm a poultry veterinarian that's why i'm here i guess um i did my undergrad at kent state and i did my veterinary school at the ohio state university from there i went and did a master's of avian medicine uh, at the university of georgia Uh, from there i worked at a couple of different companies in the industry and about three years ago i left working in the corporate world and decided to branch out on my own and start my own veterinary practice Uh, Work in a variety of areas. Um, do technical support for some of the large uh, allied companies. And in addition, I work uh, as a clinical veterinarian for uh, for several integrators. Uh, one of which is Miller Poultry. Uh, just expanded uh, my practice and hired a new veterinarian, a recent graduate, Sabrina Hurst. Uh, so she lives in Georgia and in the Athens area, and she's going to be helping uh, with accounts out east.
0: Excellent. Well, welcome uh, welcome to the exchange. Glad to have you here tonight. Um, To start us off, what's some of the biggest challenges that we're seeing in the poultry industry today? I think I know the answer to that, but uh, we'll tee that up for you.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues that we're having right now is uh, avian influenza. Uh, At the time of recording, we've lost about 39 million birds to the disease uh, this year. Uh, Certainly not as many birds so far as the out, the previous outbreak in 2015, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty bad outbreak. Um, you know, in addition to the, the loss of birds and uh, birds into the loss of birds into the market, you know, it's uh, the amount of paperwork that goes along with having birds uh, and creating a control zone. Uh, it's been a burden on the companies for sure. Andy could probably talk a little bit more about that. Uh,
0: yeah, Andy, why don't you tell us uh, what, what, what you guys have been dealing with there? Or have you been able to avoid it so far?
2: Sure, yeah. Like TJ said, it it's all over, um, and it's hit closer to home than it has previously. I wasn't with the company in 2015, but talking with some folks that were, um, it is closer to us. We um, have been part of a control zone. Um, has not affected Miller Poultry firsthand, but the amount of, you know, um, paperwork, hurdles, routine changes, logistics, that has, that's has turned our, you know, our world upside down significantly the last month, five, six weeks. Um, just, just from the logistics side of things, everything is, needs to be documented, sealed, signed, and approved um, for any kind of a movement of birds. And that's, that's a main thing that I do here at Miller Poultry is I schedule the chicks going into farms and the birds going out of farms. Um, so, there's a, there was a lot of limitations put on, um, but our our team responded really well. Um, they jumped right in, and it was a testament to our team, really, how how quickly they adapted. And it's just kind of a new normal, um, and we're dealing with it and, and watching it close. So that's that's kind of where we're at currently.
0: Do you have some of it in the neighborhood or in the area? In the area,
2: mm-hmm. in, the area um, in the same county as us, actually.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, Zach and I were talking earlier that, um, the way it's spreading is, is a little bit different than perhaps it has in the past. Can, sure. can any of you guys expound on that just a
2: bit? I don't yeah. know the. Go ahead, DJ. <laughs> Sorry,
1: Andy. Um, uh, you know, typically the avian influenza, uh, high path avian influenza comes along with migratory birds coming out of the South as they head North in the springtime. And that's been true this year. Uh, They've followed up, and if you follow the path of the migratory birds, uh, they've left a little influenza presence along the way. Um, but recently we've had some more uh, outbreaks, uh, some individual cases that are where the ducks should have already left. So it's a little bit concerning that uh, you know, maybe this outbreak is going to last a little bit longer than, than currently is being predicted, but you know, no one really knows how it's going to end. Hmm.
3: TJ, why do you think it's kind of like all over now instead of just being in certain little areas on certain flyways?
1: That's a great question. Uh, I wish I knew the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it's it spread into, you know, it, it's mostly in the central flyway, for sure. And the Atlantic flyway has a, a large number of certainly wild bird positives. But, you know, we've been really lucky as an industry and the, the Eastern and the Atlantic flyways have had far less uh, commercial cases than the central flyway. And you know, I think a lot of it is just bad luck. You know, certainly biosecurity and attention to detail is is important, but I really think a lot of it plays down to bad luck or good luck as the case may be.
0: Hmm. Zach was telling me this is a uh, more pathogenic than perhaps um, what we've had in the past. Um, what do we know about that, um, and, and, and where did it originate and when?
1: Oh, We don't know for certain if it's more pathogenic. I, I feel the same way. It feels that way, but they're currently testing these strains at some of the labs in the U.S., and you know, hopefully we should have an answer pretty soon to exactly how pathogenic this virus is. Uh, where it came from, it's a great question. Uh, exactly where it came from, we don't know this strain the h5n1 is the eurasian strain uh it seems to be very similar to or the same as the strain that's been plaguing europe for the last year or so uh so you know it's a eurasian lineage but where it came from uh i don't personally don't know someone one of the virologists, might know
0: yeah so it's you said it's been uh, plaguing europe for a while is it Expected that it's, it's going to be here for a while, year after year, for a bit before it burns out. Um,
1: I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, <laughs> right. I hope not. We hope not. Yeah. We hope not.
0: Yeah. Very well. Um, so today, you get a call from one of your one of your producers. They've got a problem with it. Um, what kind of advice do you do? What's the first thing uh, that you do for them?
1: Uh, call the government. Okay. And uh, lock down all movement until you know, for sure. Okay. As the last thing you want to do is spread it around.
0: Yeah. And not much you can do then. Yeah. Yeah. And anything you'd like to add to that?
2: Uh, That's about exactly how it happened. You know, we're, we're pretty close with the state of Indiana state of Michigan. Um, and that's exactly, that's exactly how it went. You know, this was a, a known case, you know, there was turkeys in Southern Indiana, backyard flocks here and there. Um, so yeah, th- we stay in pretty good communication. The state of Indiana does a good job of, of letting their producers know where and what's happening um, and then working together with us to outline a plan. But yeah, when it was close to us, we we locked everything down, kind of assessed where we were and then started going through the, the necessary procedures just so we can continue business. You know, we still have chicken to send to customers. So um, going about doing that changed, but you know, that's the end goal at the end of the day. We got to get chicken to our stores. So
0: mm-hmm.
3: what is the incubation period for this? Do you know, TJ, how long after exposure before they actually start showing signs that you can tell?
1: Uh, no, I don't know exactly off the top of my head. Uh, so edit that out. But um, <laughs> uh, the, you know, what we can say is that you know, the cases that we've seen, uh, certainly in ducks, um you know they didn't appear to to really get sick um and the, the the broilers that got sick from what i understand it felt like dermatitis of course i never saw any of them directly but it had a mortality pattern yeah. that was similar to dermatitis and uh, but they didn't see any lesions specific to to other diseases and you know knowing that ai was in the area made people concerned And uh, they sent samples in, and sure enough, they were positive.
2: From our understanding, the last couple positives in our area were just through routine testing. Um, Birds weren't necessarily showing signs right away, um, but eventually were leading to there. Uh,
0: Well, let's um, transition then. Uh, TJ, when you're not um, consulting on avian influenza, what other uh, kinds of – uh, calls and consulting? Do you do for your your uh, customers?
1: Yeah, rather the majority of the business is you know, working on vaccine programs, uh, biosecurity programs. It's a, a lot of the business is program based because we don't. Uh, certainly, in the antibiotic-free production realm, there's not a lot of treatment that can be done. Uh, so, it's poultry production in general is mostly about prevention of disease. So, we're always working to to optimize those, uh, the production of those birds through prevention and not uh, necessarily treatment of disease. Uh, of course, I'm working with them with with customers to help production uh, improve performance, uh, improve animal welfare, uh, food safety related uh, concerns as well, reduction of salmonella. Working in the processing plant, uh, things like that. Absolutely.
0: Okay. You mentioned uh, antibiotic-free. Andy, I think you said um, you're antibiotic-free. How long has the the operation been uh, antibiotic-free, and and was there a process that you guys went through to uh, transfer to that?
2: Not exactly sure how long. um, During my whole time, for sure. Um, I know there was a process going from antibiotic, you know, conventional to antibiotic-free. Similar, we were um, previously a non-GMO company as well, and that was also a process. Um, we currently use conventional grain again. Um, but yeah, we're hundred percent antibiotic free now. It kind of makes my life a little easier, knowing that we don't have two different lines to compete with or you know, as soon as something goes wrong, we have a, you know an easy fix where we rely a lot more on, like TJ was saying, good management, you know, attention to details and prevention. Um, and that, and that's how I like it, to tell you the truth. I like to uh, work with our grower base on, you know, good management practices, good animal husbandry, so then we don't have to rely on, um, you know, outside antibiotics or any kind of medication or treatment. Um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, a lot of water, feed, and good flowing air. I think that can cure a lot of things.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you been using uh, any essential oils or probiotics, prebiotics, those kinds of things? Is that we part do. of
2: your... Um, yep. So, you know, we do have a company nutritionist that works with TJ and the production staff on, on different probiotics and prebiotics. Um, we've tried a number of things, different essential oils, oregano, things like that as well that can be used in organic production. Um, and yeah, just finding the right recipe, quote recipe to to have a good performing bird. Um, so yeah, we, we've worked in, in and out of those areas for sure.
0: Yeah. So how do you find that right recipe? Trial Just, and error. Trial and error. <laughs> I okay. think That's it. for
2: sure trial there's, there's trial and error and there's what has worked previously. It's good to rotate these, these products and these items. You know, you always got to look at costs too. You know, how is, how is the market on, certain ingredients, you know, it fluctuates. So trying to find the right balance from performance to cost savings that keeps us employed for sure.
0: Yeah. TJ, when, uh, when you come onto a farm antibiotic free and, uh, they're having a bit of a challenge with coccidiosis, what's, what's the first thing you reach for, um, uh, out of your bag to, to help, uh, treat it.
1: Yeah. The first thing that I reach for is we talk about management, uh, if they're having a, a significant issue with coccidiosis, you know there's a few different things that we can use. You can acidify the water. You can use acidified copper sulfate. Uh, you can use saponins uh, and different essential oils as um, type products as well. Um, but really, it's all about uh, working with the grower to help uh, reduce the the impact of coccidiosis on those birds. It's about managing the life cycle of the of the parasite. Mm.
0: Talk a little bit about uh, your opinion of and use of vaccines. Is that something you employ quite often?
1: All every bird,
0: every bird. Okay,
1: absolutely, lots of vaccines.
0: Okay. Now I recall from your uh, webinar that there are uh, there's a bunch of different coxi strains out there, but do do the uh, vaccines work on all of them, or, or are they very specific to the strain?
1: Uh, they're specific to the species of, of coccidiosis. Uh, there's three major uh, coccidiosis species that affect broilers. Uh, a. servulina, Ameria maxima, and Ameria tinella. Uh, also, Ameria mitis uh, plays a role. But really, the ones that we're concerned about are maxima and tinella. Uh, both of those can, uh, can really damage chickens. And maxima is really important for feed conversion and efficiency.
0: And can they have both of those at the same time? They can. Okay. Very well. Well, yeah, one thing I was uh, wanting to kind of know is, is there geographic differences in terms of where you find these different species?
1: No, there's not a geographic difference in the species. Uh, There is one part of the life cycle of the species is outside of the bird. So when the bird uh, defecates those oocysts, they're not infectious. They have to uh, sporulate in the litter. And that sporulation process requires uh, temperature, humidity, and oxygen. And so the easiest thing to control in the litter is the humidity. So you know, depending on where you're at geographically, it can be really difficult to have enough moisture in the litter for, to complete that life cycle. You know, if you're growing chickens in the desert, for example, it can be pretty hard. Uh, or if you're in the Northern United States and you're using a lot of supplemental heat uh, in the wintertime, uh, that can really dry your litter out and make uh, make coccidiosis cycling uh, really difficult.
3: Hmm. Jose, do they make uh, many litter amendments that you can put in to make it a less uh, ideal environment?
1: Andy, you can take that one if you want.
2: Sure, yeah. You know, we use uh, litter amendments at, here at Miller Poultry. Um, PLT is is the mainstay that's in a lot of poultry integrators from my understanding, which acidifies the litter. Um, you know, it's more for ammonia control um, and, you know, pathogen control. So we do use, you know, a PLT and acidification. On the organic side of things, it's a different story. There's even fewer tools in our toolbox is what we like to say. Um, so there's different microbial um, techniques that can use. They're not super effective um, as most organic product, products are, um, but it's something that we can still use to, to try to minimize pathogens, ammonia, things like that.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, Andy, um, you're, you guys said that you were non-GMO at one time and then you switched away from that. What, what caused you to do that?
2: Um, a lot of that, I believe, came from the sales side of things. As more and more products out there have the the non-GMO label, it became more diluted, I feel. Um, there was less desire from customer base for a non-GMO. You know, there was some cost differences between a non-GMO grain and a GMO grain. Um, however, I think at the end of the day it was it was demand. We weren't getting asked by our our end consumer to keep producing non-GMO. It wasn't, it wasn't a selling factor. Like maybe it was, you know, five, 10 years ago.
0: Okay. And do you still see the uh, antibiotic free and the organic? Is that market still growing and strong for you guys?
2: For sure. Um, seems like TJ might have better statistics, but it seems like over half of chicken out there anymore has antibiotic free claims or at least some kind of line, um, from our side of things, we do see an increase on the organic side too. Um, I think more and more people do want to know where their food comes from, and that's all part of it. You know, being transparent through through marketing, through social media, whatever it is, they want to know what's how their chickens being raised and how it's being taken care of. So, from animal welfare to you know organic or antibiotic free movements, they're all they're all factors in this. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you see that continuing and just growing, continue to grow? And and, and do you guys monitor that at all? Um, consumer sentiment,
2: trends? Sure, yeah. Try to stay I know, ahead of it? I know we try to stay ahead of it for sure. And I think I think Miller Poultry was, uh, was in a great position to start with because they started antibiotic-free, I want to say, in the 90s um, when it wasn't necessarily a, a big trend. Um, we worked with customers like whole foods from the beginning and, um, that has really helped our business grow for sure.
4: Okay. So staying
2: on top of those trends and, you know, continuing to listen to our customer base, whether it's animal welfare standards, um, different, um, certifications or requirements. We always try to stay on the, you know, the cutting edge, um, of those things.
0: So all your, all your, uh, birds go to whole foods.
2: Not all of them. Nope. Um, okay. they are one of our customers, um, Miller Poultry, typically in retail stores, um, grocery stores in the Midwest, but as far as the Rocky Mountain region to the Southeast, um, you can find our chicken throughout throughout the country.
0: Mm-hmm. TJ, do you have a feel for uh, where the industry is going relative to trends and, and um, things like antibiotic-free, GMO-free, organic?
1: Yeah, I think uh, antibiotic-free, we're going to continue... Uh, producing more and more birds without antibiotics uh, in the U.S. and, and certainly globally. Uh, organic production, I think there'll be an increase in that as well, uh, but there's only a certain percentage of the population that uh, that wants to or feels the need or sees the advantage of, of buying organic uh, chicken or produce. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily for everyone. So I'm sure that there is a limit somewhere to how much organic production uh, can be sold in the marketplace.
3: So with all the supply chain shortages and issues, do you uh, see an increase or decrease or no change in in your product?
2: Um, we've seen changes for sure. You know, it's affected everybody. It's, it's not specific to us in the poultry industry or Miller poultry. Um, anything from feed ingredients being hung up um, on a boat somewhere um, waiting to get to get processed to, you know, fuel and inflation and things like that. So, um, yes, it, it's caused changes for us. However, we try to um, here at Miller Vulture, we try to make sure that we're still continuing to put out a good quality product. And that, that's really what we're all about is a, a top quality product.
0: All right any other topics guys that we need to dig into uh,
3: what other challenges do you have besides um, just coxie? or is that your main one
2: um, uh,
1: yeah I think, you know generally in the industry you know intestinal health as a whole is, is a problem coccidiosis is always a part of that uh, coccidiosis control is is really is entwined with broiler production uh, because those oocysts, those organisms are everywhere. You know, uh, bronchitis uh, virus, infectious bronchitis virus is, is a problem in certain, well, it's, it's a concern everywhere, but there's certain strains that are uh, more pathogenic and causing issues in different parts of the country right now. So we're working with that uh, pretty frequently. You know, blackhead disease uh, is a problem uh, constantly working on that, uh, on longer lived birds like bullets and breeders. Um, uh, that's a, also another pretty constant challenge.
0: Is it even possible to eradicate coccidiosis at all?
1: No, no, it's, it's not. not.
0: It's just it's just ubiquitous in the environment. Yes. Yeah. All right, um, what do you guys think is the next big thing in the poultry uh, industry? what's the future starting to look like whats what's going to be the next big trend? Is it something that we don't even expect? Are we seeing hints
2: I'm not sure exactly you know what we see on our side is definitely um, animal welfare continues to be a, a major topic of not necessarily concern but intrigue um, like I said previously, a lot of a lot of people want to know where their chicken's coming from these days, what they're eating. Um, so being more visible, um, more transparent, I can see that continuing. Um, you know, there's going to be more technology, better technology out there to try to be more efficient, but sometimes it seems like we take a step back where animal welfare, um, animal welfare concerns wants you to go back and, and grow a chicken slower or, you know, raise it outside on a pasture and things like that um, where maybe it's not the most economical or the most efficient. Um, it seems like there's more customer demands for it. And I can see that continuing.
0: So you say they want transparency. How do we do that? And they want to know what they're being fed. Um, do you put that on a website or what's some of the things you guys are doing to be more transparent to customers?
2: Sure. Yeah. We hit all that. You know, we we try to market our product that way through, through websites, social media. Um, We work with an outside third party agency for animal welfare gap, global animal partnership, um, which also is, is um, sending out those messages. Um, It wasn't that way probably 10, 15 years ago where people either cared that much or companies were that transparent, but there's definitely a call for it. And we get a lot of, you know, customer comments about wanting to know more.
0: Yeah. So you said that consumers want the, want the chickens out on pasture, but that may be not be the most economical. How do you have that conversation with them or do you?
2: Well, it's tough when probably a lot of your consumers may not be familiar with how agriculture practices, you know, take place. Um, you know, raising a a chicken on an open pasture looks good in a, a brochure, but there's challenges. There's, there's hawks, there's foxes, there's, there's predators. Um, there's environmental, um, things from especially cold weather where we're from to really hot weather down South. Like that's m- not necessarily the best environment for a chicken. However, letting it, you know, have the option to go outside. I think that's a great thing. You know, if a chicken wants to go outside on a nice day, that's great. You know, we produce some pretty good organic chicken that performs really well. And I think that, that fresh air that, you know, that natural environment is helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast the other day I wish I could remember the company but they they've basically got robotic pins that move mm. uh, the chickens across um, the terrain that they have there and I forget how many they're they're raising quite a f- quite a few birds that way do you know have you guys heard of that before?
2: I haven't seen it personally but I have heard of you know different robotics to be used and it's an old school method, just walking through the barn and getting the chickens up to feed and water more often is beneficial. Um, so I can see if that could be automated for sure. That could yeah. be a, a trend.
0: Yeah, actually what I was hearing was they, they actually had them out on pasture and they were open pins. I think they had roofs on them and everything and it would just gradually move them from mm-hmm. spot to spot. So mm-hmm. anyways, was that the U.S.? That. I think it was, Zach. I'll have to I'll have to look into it and let you know. So, Zach, what are your thoughts? What's the next big thing?
3: I don't know. I think welfare is a big one. I know a lot of customers that I work with, even ones that haven't traditionally done much with welfare programs have recently uh, been stepping it up and getting two, three, some. I think one of them has um, three third-party audits that come in of various different uh, welfare programs and standards. So I think that's a big thing coming up, especially uh, as people pay more attention to it. So chickens are on the news with all the AI. So people are going to start looking and researching more. And as they do that, I think they'll uh, they'll start looking more at that.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I agree with both of them. Uh, I'm going to take it a different direction, though. I think you know, the f- one of the future things is going to be more automation. Uh, like Andy was talking about with the robots that are in in the chicken house. Uh, there's companies working with uh, with robots that are able to uh, potentially detect chickens that are not doing as well with machine learning, you know, automation in the processing plant, you know, trying to uh, reduce some of the labor demands uh, in the processing plant and the hatcheries and these really labor intensive places. I think as technology improves and you know, uh, specifically with m- related to machine learning, I think there's some really interesting things coming up uh, in the next five or 10 years uh, that will make some of these really labor-intensive tasks uh, easier.
0: Hmm. What about genomics and gene splicing, those kinds of things? Uh, do we see that playing a role much in the future?
1: Uh, in the chickens, I don't see any uh, GMO chicken anywhere on the horizon.
0: Okay, Zach. You, yes,
3: I don't cool. think uh, I don't think people would be too excited about that if they don't even like us feeding uh, GMO grains to them. I don't think they would be super uh, super enthusiastic about actually having GMO chickens.
0: Yeah, just kind of wondering if there were things that we could do to to make them less uh, or more resistant to things like coccidiosis and those kinds of things um, through. Maybe not through manipulation, but just through uh, genomic selection.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're constantly, the genetics companies are constantly selecting for better and better chickens on the genetic side. And they're absolutely looking at uh, resistance to disease, tied to performance, and, and all, their, and all these different traits when they're, when they're selecting the next generation of chickens. So there's a, some really smart people that are absolutely working on that.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I know back in, in college we had lines that were selected for susceptibility and resistance to different, uh, different viruses or bacteria.
0: Well, then that's last call. Um, what I'd like to do is have you guys leave the audience with uh, two, two key takeaways from today's conversation.
4: Our last call question is brought to you tonight by PuraCole. Look to PuraCole Choline Chloride from Balchem to deliver the highest standards of quality backed by the strictest process controls for a level of purity, safety, and consistency you won't find anywhere else.
0: And we'll start with
4: Zach.
3: So I think, uh, especially with all the AI going around, that uh, biosecurity is definitely important, especially uh, during the winter months or until it's warmer. Uh, So everybody needs to pay attention to that. And uh, also that gut health plays uh, an important role in the bird and the overall health of it.
0: Very well. Andy, what can you tell us from a practical perspective?
2: Sure. I think there's always going to be challenges um, in raising livestock, you know, whether that be poultry, beef, hogs, whatever. Um, Managing that appropriately through husbandry and, you know, modern science too and technology. I think that is how, how things are going to move forward. And there's a lot on the horizon coming up. Um, but getting back to basics is sometimes the best way to, to proceed.
0: Yeah. I like that. Back to basics. TJ, we'll give you the final word.
1: You know, I'm really optimistic about the future of the poultry industry. I think it's a, an industry that's filled with really great people that have the, a really uh, noble goal of feeding, trying to feed the population with, wholesome, uh, and, uh, well-raised poultry, you know, with an attention to animal welfare. Uh, I think that the, the future is bright for the business and, and uh, i very fortunate to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Well said. Well said. TJ, Andy, Zach, thank you for uh, joining us here at the pub table once again and sharing your insights, your experience and your views on the future. As always, a big thank you to our loyal listeners for coming back once again to hear about the poultry industry and how it's evolving to meet the challenges um, for feeding a growing global population. I hope to see you next time here at the Real Science Exchange, where it's always happy hour and you're always among friends.
4: We'd love to hear your comments or ideas for topics and guests. So please reach out via email to anh.marketing at with any suggestions, and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot, along with your address and t-shirt size, to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash real science to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars.